your Locked On Penguins, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Penguins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, welcome to this Tuesday evening episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LL underscore Penguins coming to you guys a little bit early. Um, I love 6 o'clock starts. You know, some people don't like it. Um, I am a fan of it. The game is done at 8.30. That's an extra hour to do stuff, you know, whether it's playing video games or just, you know, doing stuff with your girlfriend, your kids or something like that. Um, You know, I know some people aren't home at the start of it, but, you know, if they did more 6 o'clock starts, um, sign me up. That's for sure. The Penguins were able to get that. uh, Another win, excuse me, uh, 4-2 over the New York Rangers. Uh, That is their fourth win in five games, 4-1 on this homestand. And joining me um, again after a Penguins-Rangers series is uh, none other than Nick Zararis does the Upper Bowl GM podcast, which is just, he does great work with that and does stuff for a whole bunch of other sites. He had that great Jack Eichel uh, trade uh, article today as well. So, Nick, uh, how we doing, man? Uh, you know, another game in this weird season. The Rangers are about mi- a little bit more, a little bit less than midway through. They're still trying to find their footing. They're very inconsistent. They really struggle to carry over performances night to night. It, it wasn't a bad effort tonight. They played well enough to win. It, it happens. Yeah, I think, you know, the story of this game was Pittsburgh crushed them in the first. Second period, it was a little more even. I thought Pittsburgh had the better of the play. And then the third period, everyone that watched the game saw what happened. The Rangers basically outshot them 14-0. And, of course, the Penguins' only shot on goal was the empty net goal. You know, the shades of 2017 game one against Nashville when the Penguins went 35 minutes, I think, without a shot. And then Jake Gensel's first one in that long um, beats Pecorine glove side. Um you know, the, the Rangers were coming into this series hot, Nick. I think they had, people were, I think they had won, what, three or four, four out of five, three in a row. Three or four, yeah. Uh, actually, I think it was three in a row. I mean, I think Rangers fans and some media were getting a bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, bullish, I, I guess. You know, yeah. only about uh, four points behind Pittsburgh. You know, you sweep this two-game series in regulation. You tie them in the standings. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, did you think this series was like a reality check for the Rangers? Because this is where they're going to be at for the rest of the year, especially with Panarin. Um, still on his leave of absence. Just what did you make overall? Yeah, I mean, I know Pittsburgh. We talked about this the last time I was on the show. Pittsburgh is a veteran team that knows how to capitalize, take advantage of favorable situations. You saw it when they scored four on five. You saw it when Malkin scored that goal with like 10 seconds left in the second period. The Penguins just, they know what to do in these situations and the Rangers don't yet. I, I wouldn't say... A lot of people were kind of buying into it. I mean, they beat Buffalo, they beat the Devils. I, I no disrespect to those teams, but that's not really a, a real measuring stick. If you're the Rangers, this year was about seeing how your younger guys developed and how they fared. At this point, it is what it is. It's less than ideal. The team hasn't been able to put together decent play because they've had decent process in a lot of their games. They're out chancing a lot of the time. They're leading and expected goals. A lot of the time they're not conceding nearly as many scoring chances as last year. So the play hasn't been horrendous. The results haven't been there. They've really had a hard time five on five scoring. The power play just hasn't really worked this year because Zabinijad's shooting prowess has dried up. 
he shot something ridiculous last year, like 19 and a half, 18 and a half percent, something like that. This year, he's less than 5%. So obviously it rebounded. But back to your question. Yeah, this is a reality check. Everybody likes to get a little excited when people have nice games, yet a nice two, three game stretch. Everyone was really happy that Truba came back from his thumb injury. Thought, okay, the lineup's getting healthier. Panarin's should be back relatively soon based on the murmurs we've heard. But again, like I said in the intro and like you just said, this is reality. The Rangers, although a talented team, are very inconsistent. And against a team like Pittsburgh that knows what they're doing, they're going to have a hard time. Yeah, and you know they definitely had that hard time in the first period. Pittsburgh, I think, outshot them seventeen to six. Of course, you know the rate. The first Rangers, the first goal of the game was Jack Johnson because it yeah. had to be Jack Johnson scoring against the Penguins. After the Penguins were just flat out dominating them in the first ten minutes, I think the shots were like twelve four or something like that. And then Johnson's shot goes off. John Marino, you know, John Marino was two for two on deflections tonight, in case those were wondering and that did not see. Um, both of the Rangers' goals went off his leg and past Tristan Jari. Um, but after that, you know, they were able to get some big goals. You know, the Teddy Bluger one. I don't know how the Rangers let him do that. Just It was a two, regular two-on-two, I thought. And then he just drove to the net with, like, basically no defense there, and he tucks it five-hole past um, Keith Kincaid, which, you know, I had no idea he was going to be starting this game going into it. I thought they would just go back to Georgiev. And then, you know, Jake Gensel, like you said, I had that big goal. That was his eighth of the year. Kasperi Kapanen, um, you know, I said it on my last episode. I'm not still too thrilled about what they gave up for him, but the guy has 17 points in 22 games, has, um, I think, seven goals now. Um, he's really finding chemistry with Evgeny Malkin. I don't think um, people are realizing that enough. And um, I was saying this the other day on my podcast, Nick, every time, you know, one of these general managers, that, for whether it was Ray Shearer or Jim Rutherford, they go out and get a winger, they say, he's going to play with Sidney Crosby. The opposite happens. And he just, you know, James Neal, they, they, they said the same thing. He plays with Evgeny Malkin. Phil Kessel played with Evgeny Malkin and not Kasperi Kapanen. Um, it's just, it's funny how that works out that way, but Kapanen, I think, has really um, shown up in quite a big way. So one of, going off of that, I we were talking about it before we started recording. In Jack's book, one of the chapters in there is about the differences between Sid and Gino. And one of the things that Jack mentions is that Sid likes playing with guys who go get the puck. He likes playing with guys who he can give the puck to. And then if there's a 50-50 puck, someone who can go get it in the corner, get it to Sid, and start the process over again. Whereas Malkin likes to play with finishers because they don't, really pass around. They like to shoot more. That line is traditionally more aggressive. They create more scoring chances. Sid likes playing with puck retrievers. So mm-hmm. back to your point, but but going off of what you said, definitely some validity to that, where the high-end players that Pittsburgh has brought in over the years always end up gravitating towards playing with Malkin. Yeah, and, and Neil was kind of like that sniper. that He, he had that reputation of being one. Obviously, he had the 40-goal season. Kessel... I mean, everyone knew what kind of player he was. Had a 90-point season on Malkin's wing and now captain. Um, I think in, at a full 82-game season, he'd be on point, on pace for like 67 points. And that would be a career high for him. He's never even gotten close to that, I don't think, for his initial career. But it's been fun to watch him play well. Um, Evgeny Malkin has woke up from his slumber. I talked about it on my last episode. Um, it's safe to say I think the Russian Bear is fully back. Took him about 15, 16 games to get going. That's kind of sucks when you don't have the training camp. But... Now, all of a sudden, Nick, you know, the Penguins, they're, they're, they're 10-4 and in their last 14 games. 
Um, now they're going to get their fun with Buffalo, and I, I should caution myself saying that. The Penguins obviously can drop games to them um, and play down to shitty competition. We don't know if Jack Eichel is going to be available for, um, for the foreseeable future. I saw in Elliot Freeman's 31 Thoughts today that um, there's whispers that he might be out longer term. But the schedule is very favorable for the Penguins the rest of the way. If they miss the playoffs, it's their doing. You have 16 of your what 30 games left against the bottom two teams in the division. But, you know, other things from this game tonight, um, I guess before I get to the next segment, uh, was the goaltending. Tristan Jari, again, um, sensational for Pittsburgh. That is now, he is now 8 and 3 in his last 11 starts, 932 save percentage. Um, he went on a 16 game heater like this last year, which got him to the All Star game. He was playing at that 925, 930 level. He has this level of play in him, and I don't think this is the goalie that he's going to be all the time. Uh, but I also don't think you know he's as bad as he was at like 850 or whatever he was the first two weeks. But you know, it's just it's almost like Nick, you know, as they say in hockey, you get do good defense, you get all your defensemen back, and you get good goaltending, you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, it's really important, and I've made this point in pretty much every appearance I've done, everything I've written. NHL teams are used to an 82 game season. You're used to having seven months to work out your problems, to get it all together. Between the start of training camp in mid-September to mid-April when your postseason starts, there's a lot of time for teams to work out their problems. And in this abbreviated season, this 56-game season, where teams had nine days, ten days to get some semblance of a training camp, a lot of these guys just don't have the same number of repetitions that they usually do at this point in the year. And that's especially true for goalies, and it's especially true for guys who shoot a lot. So it's really important to keep that in mind that, yeah, he started out really slow. Yari was pretty bad the first few games. They had to go to DeSmith a few times. It's true everywhere. We're seeing it all over. I'd like to make fun of Carey Price, but Carey Price isn't an 885 goaltender. We all know that. He's going to get back up above 900. But it might not be till the fall because 56 games is not a long time. And these big scale numbers, they typically find their level over the course of an 82 game season. And that's how the rates we get, the numbers we typically get are scaled on. So when you're seeing guys with those below 900 save percentages, those shooters, those forwards with below 5% shooting, that's part of the story that they just need more time to get going. And in this kind of season, some guys just won't. It won't come back till the fall when yeah. they've had a full off season and a full training camp. Some guys might never get their touch back. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, especially with the Carey Price thing. I mean, yeah, he's not an 880 goalie. You know, just ask Penguins fans what he did to them in the return to play. You know, guy can go on a four game heater and go like 950. That's just that's just how goaltending is at this point. It's a very volatile position. Um, you're seeing that right now with Jari, and it's just he's he's he he flat out won them that game in the third period. You know, the amount of um high danger saves he made overall. If you look at the all situations from Stat Trek, um, the Rangers led in high danger chances 14 to seven. They also led in their expected goals for overall 2.55 to 2.04. Um, if you look at the scoring chances, um, especially in that third period, the Rangers yeah. ten nothing. Um, even in the second period, the Rangers led thirteen to six. Overall, um, scoring chances for thirty one for New York, seventeen again uh, for Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh, yeah, they they basically escaped this one. Um, even if you look at the course of the possession, the Rangers had fifty seven point five percent for the possession. So yeah, this is a game for Pittsburgh. You take the two points and you move on to Buffalo. Um, but we still have a lot more to get to. 
um, for this episode. Before we do that, it is time to talk about rockauto.com. It's a family business serving auto park customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts of hundreds of manufacturers. The catalog on the site is unique and very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. You can still go to the site right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, and you can write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That is rockauto.com. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore penguins. So, Nick, I, I did want to ask you about this. You know, I, I've had my chances, you know, for at least six games this year to watch, you know, Capo Caco and, you know, Alexei Lafreniere. And, you know, I just, I know it's still very early in their careers, but, you know, they're, they're not living up to like that top two hype that, you know, I think some would have hoped um, for Lafreniere's case. Um, four goals, seven points in 23 games. If you look at some of the underlying, his possessions, 46%. Um, Kako having a bit of a better year this year than last year, still not what you want to see from him. Um, are you a little bit concerned about them right now, or do you still want to like see how they do the rest of the year and you know into year two, three, and four or whatever? I'm not particularly worried yet, especially Lafreniere. He's been playing a lot with Colin Blackwell, with yeah. Kevin Rooney, with Paul DiGiuseppe. He hasn't had finishers on his line, and what makes Lafreniere a special talent is his vision, his hockey sense, being able to incorporate his teammates. When you look at his on-ice shooting percentage for his team when he's on the ice, it's like 3.5%, something abysmal like that. I'm not particularly worried about Lafreniere. And Kako, we all kind of expected a little bit too much from him last year where we thought we were getting this finished product, and he was very much a fish out of water last year at the NHL level. He obviously needed AHL time just to get acclimated to playing on the smaller rink against mm. people where he wasn't the best athlete on the ice, which he was a lot of the time when he was playing in the Finnish league. So I'm not particularly worried yet. Uh, and the other thing is neither of them are getting significant power play time. They're both play, being stuck on the second unit. So with time, I think that'll straighten themselves out. They're not getting a, a ton of work in terms of just pure ice time. I mean, if you're not playing that power play one and getting that extra minute 30 of ice time, you're somewhere in the mid teens, 13, 14 minutes a night as a winger. It's hard to get a lot of, it's a hard to get a lot of counting stats. And while the counting stats aren't there, the expected goals I'm encouraged with. And a lot of those numbers are tied to that first two, three weeks of the season where the Rangers just couldn't score at even strength at mm. all. So when you look at the expected goals for, they're higher than the goals for. And that's typically a sign that the team is playing well, but they're just not finishing their scoring chances. So to circle back and fully answer your question, I'm not worried yet. I do think that part of the problem is just the lineup has been so jittery all year. There's been injuries, Panarin's leave of absence. There's been injuries on the back end as well, which has made it harder for the Rangers to just create offense because if you're playing your friend Jack Johnson with Brendan Smith, they can get the puck out of their own zone, bank it off the glass and pray someone taps it into the offensive zone. But as far as help, they're not getting a ton of it because the Rangers have been putting Fox and Lindgren out there a ton, especially with their higher-end players. They're putting those two out there with Zabinijad. If there's a defensive zone start, they need to win. 
they're putting those guys out there in the offensive zone because they want Fox to get those touches in the offensive zone as a distributor. So I'm not worried yet. There's time. Yeah, you know, it is still fairly young. You know, you sometimes you see those jumps in like, you know, year three even for some players. I mean, you know, it took a couple years, I think, for Eichel to fully um, show people that like, wow, you know, he is an elite player. Even Nathan McKinnon, I think it took to yeah. like year four basically. And, you know, he took the league by storm and now he's a top top three, top five player in the league. You know, I'm not saying, you know, Lafreniere or Kakura are going to get to that level, but, you know, there's still obviously big leaps um, that could be coming for them. Um, you know, the more I watch New York, I think, you know, the more I think they need another – um, top four defenseman to help out poor Adam Fox back there. Um, great player in the offensive zone. I mean, I, I always love watching him. He reminds me um, a bit of Chris Letang. He's like a younger Chris Letang, I think, a bit to me. And, you know, he just needs that partner that Letang has, like a Brian Dumoulin, who um, his return um, since injury has been sensational. Um, his skating looks all the way back. This is probably the best I've seen Brian Dumoulin play since 2018. He's, I think there's a the number, I think he's played 20 regular season games in like the last three years. He's just had two really long injuries. He had a fractured ankle this year, um, missed 15 games. Um, and he just he hasn't been the same player since. Even in the return to play um, last year, just his skating was not there. Um, but, you know, he's the type of player that um, Latang like needs as a partner. And I think Adam Fox could use as well, you know, that, that defensive presence that can, you know, cover for their mistakes and, you know, they don't have to. You know, when Latang or Fox make a risk, you know, he's right back there just waiting to make a good defensive play. I think the Rangers could really use a player like that in their lineup. I would like to see them at some point this year try Ke'Andre Miller with Fox, just purely because if we're not going to make the playoffs, you got to find out how pieces fit together. I think, like you said, Miller, although Miller has a nice offensive touch, he's not a total klutz handling the puck. He's more of a traditional what you would call a defensive defenseman he's got the big body he's a pretty good skater he's got a really long reach so i'd like to see that as a potential pair but they've been pretty insistent on playing miller with truba which is part of the problem because truba just likes to shoot the puck he doesn't like to pass the puck and you're not creating a ton of chances and to protect adam fox you got to give him that quality defensive partner who can cover for him when he takes risks because I love Adam Fox, but the only weakness in his game is his mobility. He's not the fastest skater. He's not going to win a foot race to a 50-50 puck. So giving him some coverage. Lindgren is fine. On a good team, Ryan Lindgren is a third-pair defenseman. And that's fine. You need third-pair defensemen yeah. on good teams. But for the Rangers to be asking this much of him this early in his career for someone who you know, was pretty unpolished, we're talking about someone who is considered a Tier 2 prospect when they got him, the Rangers got him from the Bruins organization who played two years of hockey at the University of Minnesota, minimal AHL time, something like 10, 15 games at the end of that season when they acquired him. And they just fed him to the wolves and they've stuck it out with him. His underlings are fine. It, he's about even and expected goals individually. He doesn't create a ton. What's interesting though is before today's game, Ryan Glenlin was somehow the Rangers' leader in high-danger scoring chances for. I don't know how, but according to Natural Statrix's calculation, in terms of raw high-danger chances, Lindgren had the most. That that actually is that's pretty surprising to me. You know, someone especially like Adam Fox is not leading that. You know, I honestly think Jacob Truba would have you know close to the same um, as Lindgren. Um, you know, we're getting close to the deadline. You know, I think it's what, a full month now, if I'm not mistaken. You know, there's obviously a lot of uh, rumors circulating around 
and that stuff. You know, do you see the Rangers doing anything at the deadline? Do you see them selling off some assets uh, potentially before we get back to some more of this game talk? I could see them trying to get some draft selection for Brendan Smith, the third or fourth round pick. Teams always need defenseman depth. He's really affordable. The Rangers would probably retain half his salary. You get a third pair lefty. He's pretty good at shot suppression. He doesn't give you anything offensively, but he's not a liability. He's still a decent skater. You give him ice time, he won't totally implode. I could see them trying to get something for Johnson. I could see a team very dumbly being like, we'll take Jack Johnson for a third or a fourth round pick at the <laughs> deadline. And then if you wanted to say of their guys who are expiring, I think if they were going to trade Buchnevich's restricted free agent rights, I think they would wait till the summer. And I think that would probably par- be part of a bigger trade. I know a lot of people want to link the Rangers to Jack Eichel because there are reports that Friedman's reported, Dreger's reported. A number of insiders have said that the Rangers called last summer. They asked what would it cost, and Buffalo said, we're not trading him right now. But as people get, as people like to speculate, as people like us who have to make content every day, trades are fun to talk about. It gives us something to talk about. Everybody plays fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy basketball. <laughs> Everyone thinks they know how to make trades, and it makes for fun conversation. I don't think you trade someone like Buchnevich in season because either you put him into a bigger trade for someone like an Eichel or you give him an extension. So to answer your question, maybe Jack Johnson, maybe Brendan Smith, maybe Georgiev if a team really, really needs a goalie badly. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, there's not a ton of stuff to work with here because a lot of the Rangers guys are either they're blue chip prospects or they have no movements. If it were up to me, I'd be seeing what you could get from Chris Kreider. Uh, they already have two left wingers in Lafreniere and Panarin. Kreider's going to be playing third line left wing if the Rangers have a good team in a year or two. So that's what I would do. But yeah, not not a ton that's movable here. Yeah, and that's you know that 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 contract is going to be something for the next however many years. It's like seven years, I think, still yep. uh, at this point. You know, the, the play of the game for me, switching gears a little bit. Um, that shift that the Penguins had in the Rangers zone with the Malkin and Kapanen line out there, um, yeah. probably the best shift I've seen from that team in four years. Um, the way, <laughs> I think I counted by 21, I think it was like 20 passes or something. I have to go back and make sure about that. But um, they were just distributing the puck so beautifully and Kapanen was able to um, cap it off with a hell of a goal. I think it was Dumoulin that got the assist. I, I, th- I yeah. think it was. Um, but just what a shift that was. You can really see um, that Malkin is filling in right now. Um, and that was one of the biggest things that needed to get right. And it has Crystal Tang got right. You know, Chris, they, they were never going to play like that forever. You know, people think, oh, they're just going to play like that the rest of the season. You know, they're just going to be done. You know, that's just, that, that was never going to happen. These two are star players. They're sure they're a bit older, 33, 34, but they know what they're doing. And uh, they've been absolutely humongous on these last few games for Pittsburgh. But we still have a lot more to get to. Um, for this episode, um, even touch on the ESPN news um, in the next segment with some other stuff. But before we do that, it is time to talk about Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. It has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up for. You can head to the website betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive. receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts with the promo code locked on. 
Alright, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. Um, it stunk that Jared McCann was out for this game. I think he's going to be out for at least a week as he was placed on IR retroactive to March 7th. So I think he will, the earliest he can come back is on Sunday. Sullivan said today he's day-to-day. Um, that loss stings for them just because he had three goals in the five games since coming back. Uh, was looking like a completely different player. He's always been that streaky player throughout his career. Last season, I think he had one goal in 24 games. Um, but he was playing on Malkin's wing. Obviously, they had to put Evan Rodriguez up there for this game. Not ideal. And they had to put, you know, Anthony Angelo back in the lineup. Their, their fourth line needs such an upgrade. It's not even funny. Uh, I think, if anything, if Ron Hextall doesn't want to make a swing for the fences kind of deal, um, you got to think that he's going to make an upgrade um, to the bottom six, maybe bringing Eric Stahl in. Um, Mikhail Granlin in Nashville, you can probably pry him out of there. Um, those are the type of players that I could see Hextall and Burke going after. Um, but, you know, as much as I would love Ricard Raquel to come to the Penguins, um, I just don't see it. Um, but, you know, switching gears a little bit, Nick. Um, so big news for the NHL's TV rights deal today. Um, it's been leaked and reported from Chris Johnston from Sportsnet at ESPN. Um, it will be signing a seven-year deal for, about, I think, half of the TV um, rights for the next seven years. I think NBC is also going to get a seven-year deal. Um, just what are your thoughts on that? I mean, me speaking, I think this is great for the league. It's more exposure, which they desperately need. Um, the only big thing is you got to make sure that you're actually showcasing the sport with not only good play-by-play people, but good analysts as well. Oh, absolutely. And it's an opportunity to start fresh. NBC has had the NHL package for 10 years now. They signed that original contract back in 2011. Before that, there was the Versus Network. If you're old enough to remember the Versus <laughs> Network, like Hunter and I, it was not a particularly well-stocked channel. There was a lot of live events and then empty talking head shows. And it's just a matter of how seriously ESPN wants to take this. Is it going to be like how ESPN treats soccer, where it's only on ESPN Plus and all of their soccer content is behind that paywall? Or is hockey going to be on ESPN or ESPN2 every single week, once or twice a week? Because mm-hmm. that's part of this conversation about growing the game that I have with pretty much everyone when we talk about hockey. We want to see the marquee players featured. We don't want to see the Detroit Red Wings play the Chicago Blackhawks at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday. We would like to see the Vegas Golden Knights playing the Toronto Maple Leafs at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday in the only time slot where as many eyes as possible get to watch Austin Matthews play Mark Stone at the same time. As for talent, they're going to throw probably something similar to what ESPN does with soccer where they have their ESPN FC show, which is just like an hour-long studio talking head show, like what NFL Live is for football, for yeah. soccer. I'm assuming that'll be on ESPN+. Plus. I doubt any ESPN will take anything out of their regular scheduled block programming to put an hour-long or half-hour-long NHL show on. Possibly ESPN2. You could do a 30-minute show on ESPN2 every day instead of doing a rerun of PTI or Around the Horn at the 6 o'clock window while SportsCenter's on main ESPN. But game-wise... ESPN does a great job with their in-game presentation. Their college football, their college basketball, as bad as the broadcasting is for their Major League Baseball package, the camera work, the production value is very high. ESPN is the most powerful entity in sports for a reason. They know what they're doing. Now, it's a matter of how serious they take this and what kind of efforts they put in it. I mean, I saw a lot of people making the joke of, 
well, if ESPN is going to buy the NHL, you know, they're going to have their talking head shows do the not it's not sponsored content because the NHL isn't paying for it. But because the NHL is now a partner with ESPN, ESPN is going to hand the little sheet of paper to Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith. And they're going to talk about Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews, like it's Kawhi Leonard versus LeBron <laughs> James. And while I think that'd be very funny, I do want hockey to get a little bit of respect, like not to be a please like my sport guy, but to be like a, these are some of the most amazing athletes in the world playing one of the most awesome sports to watch. And especially ESPN getting Stanley cup finals, yep. they're getting half of the seven is an enormous deal because ESPN for all of the money they spend on everything. The only thing they have the finals for are college sports. They don't get the world series. They don't get the super bowl. They don't get the NBA finals. The NBA finals are on ABC. This is a big deal for them. They, I think they'll take this seriously, but at the same time, I do worry that this might drift into the campy territory where it's kind of like when ESPN does UFC content and you can tell the on-air analysts don't really know anything about UFC, but because they're a partner with the UFC, they have to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I just... I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do hope they do take this seriously. Um, you know, I saw your joke on your Twitter. Just please don't hire someone like Barry Melrose to do all the color commentary. Um, and people will hope for John Butchergrass. That's a hard pass too. I never really cared for him with his hockey stuff. You know, maybe someone like Linda Cohn in the studio. I think she would do a great job. Some people said I think AJ Malesko from NBC. Yeah. Um, my number one guy, Nick, is Mike Johnson. If they can pry him from TSN, I think he's their number two, number three guy. I mean, that's a slam dunk. Um, I think a lot of people obviously want Gary Thorne back. Um, he's a bit older, but I think it would be a lot of fun to see him back calling um, hockey games. Um, Steve Levy would also do a great yeah. job. He's always been, you know, very um, proponent with hockey. Um, but then, you know, then I guess we'll shift it to NBC a little bit. You know, I wonder how many games they're going to get. I guess maybe they'll get games on the weekends. Is this maybe going to push them to have some different analysts in their studio now that it's like? They probably like wow, you no know, ESPN stepped up, and they're probably going to maybe have some better analysts than we do. So we'll see if they can step their game up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Because one of the frustrations a lot of people our age have who do this, we do whether we're writing, we're podcasting, we're content creating. We see that people our age who are doing this stuff mostly for free, just to build a portfolio. We make better stuff than what gets on air on regional sports networks right now. Yeah. I, you and I could do a better intermission show than what was on during the Rangers and Penguins game today because we're talking about the actual game. We're just, we're going to go look at the, the heat map. All right, there was a scoring chance from this exact spot on the ice. What does that tell you about where the defense is aligned? What does that tell you about where the forward support was? What does that tell you about where your passing options are? All of that kind of stuff, which is... The X's and O's of hockey, which for some reason doesn't get talked about the way X's and O's do in football, which is something I've never understood. I just want to see hockey given the same level of seriousness. And to your point about the analysts, as much as I understand why producers and networks and show directors like the marquee names, they like having the Keith Jones, they like having the Patrick Sharp, who I like. I like Patrick Sharp. Yeah. I think he does a good job in studio. I do too. At the same time, I think your audience is better served by having people who aren't looking at this in just layman's terms of a, well, they've been really hard on the four check. So I think they got to come out. They got to throw some hits. They got to get off their heels, that kind of talk. Whereas I 
think there's a lot of room for constructive hockey discourse that just isn't explored because there's just no there's no interest in it from a production side of it. The resources are there. Mm-hmm. You can find a game recap on YouTube that someone in college or high school made that'll give you everything you need to know in 30 seconds in a way that four highlights at the on the 11 o'clock sports center won't. It's just a matter of how serious and how much work you want to put into this. Yeah, and the big thing, you know, to to bring this game, you know, into this, um, for almost like the entire game tonight when I was watching on NBCSN, they're just showing the hits up at the top of the screen. It's like, I don't really think anyone cares about the hits stat anymore. You know, show us show us some, like, advanced numbers on there. It's just like all game, you know, and I like Brian Boucher's commentary. He's obviously got up to NBC's number one um, color commentator for a reason. He's leagues better than Pierre Maguire. I mean, everyone else that has to offer – but, you know, he, he's in there talking about hits. John Forslund's doing the same thing, who is a great um, play-by-play guy. He's probably a top three play-by-play guy in the league right now. But I just don't understand, like, why everyone's so, like, fascination at, like, the, the physical aspect. It's just like, you know, show it, us the stats. Just show us all the other stuff that, like, the game has to show, I guess. That's the stuff for the casual people who are flicking yeah. the channels. It, it, it's easy to sell hits. It's easy to get eyeballs on, you know, two grown men hitting each other at full speed in a corner for a 50-50 puck. I understand that that's who all of these broadcasts are geared toward. That's the main reason you don't see a prevalence of advanced statistics on most broadcasts. I have noticed Sportsnet using them a little bit in their broadcast this year. Mm. I know they've shown some of Dom's work. I know they've shown some of Micah's work. They've shown some of the evolving Wild Twins work on their broadcast because their broadcast is solely dedicated to hockey. It is not a regional sports network. It is not an ESPN and NBC. Sportsnet thing is hockey, and they are going to cover hockey better than anyone else's because that's all they care about, and it's what all their resources are tied up in. So it's why you see more advanced statistics stuff, and you don't see hits. It's why they've had shots on goal on their score bug for two years now. <laughs> it's it's why you see that they keep track of who's on the ice for more than 40 seconds at a time with a little ticker that goes underneath the shots on goal. All of the stuff that makes a broadcast better, Sportsnet is the model. TSN does a very good job. I just prefer Sportsnet. Yeah, I, I do think Sportsnet is better. You know, wherever the, the Penguins have played, um, the team in Canada, you know, when it's not like this sort of sort of season, um, I will always pull up the Sportsnet broadcast over the AT&T Sports Network, AT&T Sports Network for, for Pittsburgh. You know, I love Steve Mears, but I can't listen to Bob Airy over like someone like Jim Hughes and Craig Simpson. It's just like it's just it doesn't compare. That's the thing. So I'm really hoping ESPN nailed this. You know, to wrap this all up though, um, Nick, uh, just for the rest of the season. Give, give me your thoughts on old friend David Quinn, just because I, I know you, you seem to love that guy on Twitter as the head coach. Um, what, what do you see the Rangers doing for the rest of the year, and when do you see them uh, making that ascension to being that uh, playoff team? Um, Quinn Quinn's a rah-rah guy. He's a get-the-guys-going motivator. He's that. He's not an X's and O's guy. You, you can tell. The dramatic difference, just the changing the assistance from last year to this year, swapping out Lindy Ruff for Jacques Martin, you can see they're playing an entirely different defensive system. It's a lot more responsible. There's a lot less collapsing. It's stronger. He's a rah-rah guy. I understand the appeal of that. These are younger guys. They need to be pushed. They need to be prodded. You need to get the most out of them. But at the same time, 
the situational awareness, the strategy, mental toughness, all those things that come from coaching, they're just not there with this guy. And I understand the whole point of hiring a college coach for a team that was going to be so young was that this guy knows what to do with 20 and 21 year olds. But at the same time, it is worth pointing out. He didn't really win anything at BU as the head coach, even though he had superstar talent like Jack Eichel, Charlie McAvoy, that kind of thing. Rangers this year, they'll probably finish sixth in the East, maybe fifth if they catch someone sleeping or if someone has a bad injury. They're better than Buffalo. They're better than the Devils. They're not better than the Flyers, Pittsburgh, Washington, the Islanders. They won't be an embarrassment the rest of the way, but they're not going to be particularly good. As for when they should be good, this summer's the telltale sign. They're going to have, if they give all of their restricted free agents one-year deals, they're going to have about $7 million in cap space left over where you could go out and get pretty much anything in a trade or in free agency. The Eichel thing, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the Rangers make sense as a landing spot for Eichel. Nugent Hopkins will be there. I don't know if you're going to throw a bag at Nugent Hopkins full well knowing you have to give Zabinijad a contract in a year after this summer. So as for when the Rangers could be good, they could be a playoff team as soon as next year. But more than likely, they'll be a fringe team if they are in the mix next year. And as much as it pains me to say it, it's probably two years from now when they're actually a bona fide, like, this team could win a round or two in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I've always said this year they're, they're probably a year or two away. More more so, I think two years away if they so they can spend money. Um, as for Pittsburgh, you know, like I said, ten and four in their last fourteen. Um, the fun games are hope the hopefully the fun games are still to come. They play Buffalo later this week, Thursday and Saturday. Two of their only four road games of the month before coming home. I think they play the Devils a lot coming up. Buffalo again. Uh, I think later this month they have they still have to play Boston six times, but. You know, they're done playing a lot of the, this tough stretch is finally over for Pittsburgh. You know, they only play the Islanders two more times. They only play the Flyers three more times, the Capitals two more times, the Rangers two more times as well. So now they get their fun with two of the bottom teams in the division. And it looks like every team is deciding to get three points tonight in the East Division because everyone just likes to go um, to overtime. But yeah, I have the Penguins still getting in the playoffs. I said second before. Um, if they can win 12 of those 16 games against Buffalo and New Jersey combined, maybe even more, um, they might get first place if they do well um, in their other games. The, the, the path to first place is actually right there. You know, everyone keeps asking, well, why are the Islanders in first place? They're 6-0 and against Buffalo people. I mean, you take those games away and it's even 4-2. and I don't even think they're in first place, two of those regulation losses. Um, or even if it's somehow 3-3, three and three, they're not in first place. That just goes to show how bad Buffalo has been this year. So... Um, I think that'll do it, though, for this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. Nick, where can everyone find your work at? Um, my Twitter is where you'll find most of my written work at Nick Zararis, Z-A-R-A-R-I-S on Twitter. The blog, Gotham SN, has pretty much everything. Rangers, Knicks, Islanders, Mets, Yankees, everything New York sports taking care of there. As we get closer to the NFL draft, there'll be stuff for that. NHL-wise, yeah, there too. You can find my Ranger stuff. Wrote an Eichel blog that went out on Tuesday. Wrote a blog last week about the similarities between the Rangers and the Vegas Golden Knights in terms of how they like to create their offense. Um, Upper Bowl GM podcast pretty much every day. Not ev- not every single day, but pretty much every single day. Every single sport I'll talk about. Did an episode yesterday about teams at the trade deadline. An episode today was about why teams 
trading superstar players always lose the trade. When you go back to recent NHL history, you look at it, whether you want to talk about Phil Kessel, Pacioretty, Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, whoever you want to talk about, the team trading the star pretty much always loses and loses pretty resoundingly. So the vibe of the podcast is the fan who watches their favorite team and just has to think to themselves, what the hell is my general manager or my coach doing? (laughs) I'm not a professional. I'm not a professional hockey coach. I'm not a professional general manager. And even I could tell you, Jack Johnson is not worth $1 million a year. Jack Johnson should be getting paid in college credit. Yeah, and as all Penguins fans can tell you, yes, he should be getting paid um, to play college hockey and not um, NHL hockey. Though, of course, you know, he gets his first goal tonight and his first goal um, yeah. basically since NOM um, yeah. at this point. Um, but like I said, that'll do it for this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. A bit of a longer one, but still, um, very much appreciate Nick coming on, and I'll probably do this again um, for the last two games against the Rangers. I'm not even really sure when these two teams play again. I think it's sometime in April or, you know, early yeah. May. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode um, with the Locked On Penguins podcast, so I'll talk to you all then.